Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts Podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we're talking about how people in the learning space are addressing challenges in their content operations. What do those changes mean for learning management systems? Is this the end of the monolithic LMS? Hey everybody, I'm Alan Pringle, and today we have a special guest, Felice Banner. So Felice, welcome, and please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure, thanks for having me, Alan. My name is Felice Banner, and I'm a learning experience designer. I have, I want to say, over 25 years. I did the, I did the math the other day, actually. It's about 27 years <laughs> in higher education and corporate and nonprofit government learning design. Before that, I worked in data visualization and information design. So I came into this field in a, in a little bit of a different way, although there's other folks who came in at the same way that I did, considering this from an information perspective rather than from a teaching perspective. The minute I started working in the field, I was fascinated by educational theory and pedagogy and philosophies and andragogy and hudagogy and techno-hudagogy, thanks to my friend Bill Pels there. But throughout the years, I have watched technology evolve alongside learning theory, and I'm fascinated by that. I have been in the content strategy space this whole time, both from information design, data visualization side, also going over into into learning design, I've had a focus on content strategy all along. I've known folks at Scriptorium for probably 25 years. Well, probably (laughs) so, considering we've been around since 97, and we have crossed paths in conferences probably more times than we can tell people. (laughs) Indeed. Well, with, with your background, you're the perfect person to talk to about this, you know, learning management system, LMSs, and what's going on with them, because we're certainly seeing a shift and you've got your feet even more firmly planted in the learning space than we do. So I'm very interested in your perspective. And I think a good place to start, especially for people who may not necessarily be in the learning space, maybe a little more content focused, let's start with a quick definition of what a learning management system is and what it does for an organization. Oh, I didn't know that was going to be on the test, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Curveball. Curveball. So I'm not going to have the ultimate perfect definition of what a learning management system is. If we want to talk about a content repository and what different content repositories look like, overlay a, a content repository, content management system with registration, the ability to create courses, to offer courses and and show progress through those through those courses through that whether you know it's simply content or content interaction and assessment i would say those are the the features that would differentiate a learning management system from a content management system early on when learning management systems started to become more widely available the joke was all it is is a content management system with the ability <laughs> to register, you know, thrown on top of it. But there are so many pieces that are built into learning management systems 
these days, which is why the behemoths got to become behemoths with student privacy, uh, learner, the data is being collected, learner privacy, the interactions between student information systems, setting up the databases behind the scenes so that it would be possible back in the day for a student information system akin to Banner, Banner is one of the systems, to be able to talk to the data in the in the learning management system. Sure. So the people that use these LMSs, and I'm talking more about the trainers and learning people, what's the general process for creating content and getting it into one of these LMS systems? What, what's their process? Or does it kind of vary from system to system? So it varies from system to system. It also varies from practice to practice. And if we want to talk in any learning space, imagine a training session. We'll just talk about a physical, a physical okay. learning, learning experience where you're all designated to meet in the same place and you all show up in the same place and someone walks in the room drops a bunch of material or folders on the desk and walks out of the room. Hmm. That's how most learning management systems are used. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, and it's, unfortunately it's the way they were designed. It was upload your file. A dumping ground, essentially. Exactly. So a dumping ground with no context. And that's the same as someone just dropping. I used to do that when I did <laughs> I did training. You know, I'd come in, I'd drop it on the table, I'd walk out and say, that's what you're doing to your learners. <laughs> you don't provide context for your information. That's exactly what you're doing to your learners. So the process depends on the tool that's being used. So we'll say, you know, am I using one of the one of the big tools? Let's say it's Canvas or Moodle, or, or Brightspace, or even if it's Teachable or Kajabi. And all the, it depends on how the LMS itself or the plat, this learning platform is enabling you to structure a learning experience and upload content, create assessments, enable interactions. So the instructional design process or practice needs to happen first. Right. Right. We need to design this learning experience. We need to consider how we want the learners to progress through that, how we want them to communicate with each other, with an instructor, with themselves. So it's sort of like there's no right answer to your question. Sure. And that's true even yeah. on the content side, too. But it kind of leads into what I want to talk about next. It sounds like dumping ground or maybe better than dumping ground, there's still going to be some challenges and, and obstacles, especially to assign any intelligence to all of this content that you're putting in to these systems. So what kinds of things in general do you see these people who are creating this learning content, what kind of hoops are they jumping through? What kind of workarounds, what things are they doing to get things to work better in these systems? So I'm going to roll things, roll it back a little bit and talk about when a learning content has typically been developed and shared and reused. Yeah. Because that reuse is something that we weren't, we didn't think about. Sure. Very much. 
not not everyone. And you're not the only industry either. Training is right. by learning folks. We, we are not slamming you at all because tr- <laughs> trust us, yes. it but, is a problem everywhere. Yeah. So, but coming from an information design yeah. space, reuse was always in the back of my mind and classification was always in the back of my sure. mind. Having always known what a library system could do, what a database could do, how classification could help organize any type of information, taking a look at learning management systems and the ability to tag content and content types has been missing all along. I remember when I could first build a course in WordPress and was able to program the heck out of that backend and classify learning content classify activities as activities. I also remember Angel, the learning management system, where we could do that within a learning object repository. And then Blackboard acquired Angel. So that went away. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the struggles we're up against now to make things talk to one another are learning content repositories, our learning management systems. If we're using these old big solutions, there's you know, Lectora, I, I, I don't want to like go through and just bring out, bring out all these names. Brand name names. salad. Yeah. Brand name. Yeah. Salad. But the newer tools are really taking into consideration how we might reuse content, how we might want to, how we might need to. Some of the things you and I have talked about in the past and other folks at Scriptorium are the possibilities of even going as far as using micro content or, you know, the data learning terms to really tap into those frameworks to become a little bit more consistent with tagging our content so that we can reuse it. One of the things that I see, one of the biggest challenges I see right now is, you know, you've got the training department and the marketing department and the documentation department not able to share content using different systems and, you know, creating, I mean, you see this all the time, Alan, right? We do. <laughs> you, we do. It's your job. You're, you're, how do we, how do you you are speaking my language. Yes, you are. Yeah. And we have noticed, we, we have more clients from the training space now, and they are really up against what you just talked about, reuse and the single source of truth. Those are two things that really, a lot of them, their hair is on fire because they are being forced to do copy and pasting for different versions, copying and pasting from one system to another. Right. And it's my observation, and you can tell me if this is unfair, that a lot of tools marketed to the the learning groups seem very closed and do not play well with others at all. Completely. Completely. Yeah. And, you know, I, we see that changing a little bit. Good. With- once we started becoming comfortable using APIs and getting things to talk to one another. But the thing that's still missing is that centralized database of information. You'll hear the term learning experience platform mm-hmm. being thrown you know, thrown around a lot these days. And the way I have seen them used, I have never seen one used to its full potential, right? If we want to talk about how are we, including or taking into consideration informal learning, right? What I learn in my kitchen about my job, just because I happen to learn something that has something to do with something else. I'm, you know, sure. just these, these tangents and things like that. 
and and how we capture them. I'm gonna I am gonna call out a product. I want to call out Docebo. The folks at Docebo know I love them, but they're uh, I've seen the best approach to learning experience platform with the standards that exist in the learning space. You can you'll you'll need to find someone who's more versed in SCORM than I am. You know, which is the standard for exporting and importing um, right. across different platforms. But that's just taking a package and downloading it and putting that package somewhere else. It's not letting one assessment or seven questions from one assessment talk to a different learning experience. Yeah. And I compare a SCORM package almost to an ebook, like an EPUB file, which is basically a container, a zip file, really, a container file mm-hmm. full of HTML files. A SCORM package is very similar. It is just a container for a lot of files. And I will tell you, one of our clients has been concerned about SCORM packages from an intellectual property IP point of view, because the second mm. you let that go and it's just manually you know, uploaded or imported into a system, it can be hard to get controls, but you already mentioned APIs. There are ways to kind of make virtual SCORMs, almost like an API where you can hold on to it. But if mm-hmm. the traditional SCORM package, if you just hand it over, I've just given you my stuff. And what yeah. if there's an update? What if something's outdated? Exactly. Whatever. you, it, It's a big mess. And I have also noticed that we will create automated transformation processes to basically create SCORM packages so people can put content into an LMS. The problem is LMS A likes a slightly different version of SCORM Mm -hmm. than B. Yeah, it is a standard, but there are flavors within that standard we have observed. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's another big pain point. But what I'm hearing from you is it sounds like two things are going on. Some of the vendors, the companies are getting wiser with letting people create Mm -hmm. smarter content, number one. Number two, people are starting to move to those platforms and realize maybe the older ways of having just that LMS sitting in the middle, that pretty much it, maybe is not the where things need to be. It needs to be connectivity. There needs to be a wider ecosystem of tools that's not just in your department. It needs to be cross departments in a lot of cases and organizations. Absolutely. And, you know, I think about enterprise-wide applications, almost like consider the tools that are used to to generate help, mm-hmm. help uh, solutions. I just use JIRA as an example. You know, we have a you have a knowledge base enterprise wide. Everyone at the organization has access to ask a question or you know search the knowledge base or or something like that. That's where I want to go. That's what I want to see. I want my learning experience platform to be like that. I want a knowledge base that I can tap into any place, anytime, anywhere, and then have my mastery checked in the ways that I want to have it checked. Sure. You know, um, a lot of times the, you know, learning management systems are talking about being really focused on the learner and more adaptive. And I, I've seen adaptive systems and especially with generative AI being 
so widely available. I wonder if that was going to come up. So there we, there, there we go. The requisite AI mention. So. We'll get there. We'll get there again. But, um, <laughs> but the adaptive pieces, what I'm seeing are in content and serving up content. Right. So adaptive learning means you're giving me different content because maybe something I've searched for. But are you giving me a different assessment? Are you giving me a different option to interact? Right. So this is where I see the future of learning experience platforms going. That sure. it's the experiences that I have will will be different, will change. I haven't seen it well done yet. I want someone to show me. Well, even on the content side of the world, because we're kind of focused, scriptorum on the product content side of the world. You know, you talk about we need to deliver omni-channel content. We need to deliver content, what people want at the time they need it and the format that they want. Yes, that sounds great, but not everybody is doing it. So again, this is not just about learning, folks. This is a problem that's universal. So, yeah, I think that there is a lot of room for improvement wherever content is. You have got to have your source has to have that intelligence built in that lets you do that adaptive content on the fly. Those, you know, a quiz based on your location, you're at this particular branch or this particular hospital or this location. So you're going to get this training. If you don't have that intelligence, metadata, yeah, I said it, built into that source content, and then it needs to be processed by the various systems, you're sunk. So that goes right back to you've got to start during the creation process and get that intelligence built into that content so you can do the adaptive things that you're discussing. You, know, you talk about being in that place or that space and being served what, what's appropriate in that moment of learning need. I'm fascinated by location-based yeah. tools, LIDAR, iBeacons. Like when I walk past this, I might need to learn something different in order to do something past this point. Uh, and I think all of that is, is really important. And let's go into AI. We've yeah, we touched on it. We don't know what might come next. No. I've embraced it. I love playing in this space. Anything that can help with the, you know, I, I talk about dreaming drudgery design and, and development and anything that can help with the drudgery piece is always welcome in my book. And it's hilarious um, you said that because I was about to say, we see it as another tool. And if it can handle the drudgery of content creation, there's several things I can think of. It could help you sort. It could help you. Yes, people still index things. Why not let AI take a whack at it? It may not be perfect, but then yeah. you can go clean it up. Any kind of pattern matching, that sort of thing, I think it does very well. Now, we can, you know, we can quibble about should you be going out on open sites and dumping your corporate information in there. But if right. you're in a closed large language model that is specific to your company, your organization, why not let it look at your stuff and find relationships that you probably don't have the time to go dig around and find and it can. Mm -hmm. So it's just another tool. Do I think it's going to replace content creators in any space right now? The only space where I think it might is if you are someone who is cranking out low quality content of people who do 
shall we say, not entirely truthful reviews on various sites, things like that, things that can be put together fairly quickly. I think there might be problems for those kind of people, low quality content. But when you're talking about the spaces you and I are in, I see it more as a tool and not the replacement. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of what I love about this community, we talk about, you know, documentation and training on new products. Well, nothing exists. (laughs) So we can't, you know, we can't tap into existing content to generate this content. But, you know, in the learning space, I, I see so much potential for different types of tutors based on information that we have, right? Existing, existing knowledge. You, you talked about intellectual property earlier, and that, that's a big deal. Very. And on the on higher ed side, there's the open education movement, open educational resources, and just open education about enabling more access. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what open access looks like in this content space, the, the struggles we have and and maybe what advice do you have for protecting intellectual property but sharing content you know creative commons licensing is a beautiful thing and being able to share learning content would be so helpful but we don't go there and companies spend so much money creating from scratch the same trainings that other companies are are creating right. i just think about that all the compliance training I've written in my lifetime. (laughs) It is what you're talking about is a tightrope and it's a very difficult tightrope because we are a profit-based society, unfortunately, and this is business and it can be very hard to give things away. Um, I'm going to toot scriptorium's horn here for two seconds in this regard, because what we did is we created a WordPress-based site called learningdata.com to teach people about an XML specification, the Darwin Information Typing Architecture, which, by the way, is a, can be a very good fit for learning content. We basically created that where it is out on GitHub. You can tip, download the source files, do whatever, and then you can take the classes for free. This was kind of our thought on that. We are proving our own bona fides in this space, the data space, by putting this these courses together, but then they benefit people too. And I'll be blunt, they also benefit our clients because instead of paying someone to pay for an introduction to data course, people can take it at their own pace through this self-paced learning that's online and do it that way to get a baseline. And it also saves a client some money. And it doesn't even have to be our clients. Anybody can go out there and take advantage of this free training and not pay for it. You really have to think very carefully, bigger picture, how this could pay off. If getting content out there, if providing some open training, open source training to people, it can help you indirectly and it can prove your competence in topics. So that's that's kind of the angle that I'm coming at. I don't know if it exactly answers your question, but that's where my mm-hmm. brain is gone. No, I, I like that. And I wonder, can people reuse and reshape it? Like if it's on GitHub, it's there and someone could take it. And they can reuse. take it and adapt it and they can take that source. Yeah. Basically, the site 
that we have a learning management system that sits on top of WordPress, that is ours. That is just one instance, one instance of how you could use this content. If people wanted to take that content and then do something more print or PDF based or some other format, they can. We've even had some other people in our line of work in different parts of the world take that GitHub content, translate it, and then create their own instances in German, in French. So that same content is out there and it's been localized. And if you want to, you can go to their learning data sites and do it through that language if you're more comfortable in, say, German or French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing to stop someone from taking it and charging for it either. <laughs> if they wanted to, they could. Again, yeah. everything that you said, these are the kind of considerations you have to think about when you put things out there for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you've got to let your child go out into the world and do their own thing. And I'm comfortable with that because, you know, at the end of the day, a more informed world about DITA in our case, that is a possible customer for Scriptorium down the road. Mm-hmm. That is very businessy and maybe even a little repellent to put it so bluntly, but there you have it. There is a case for providing free open sure. source information, even from a for-profit corporation. Absolutely. Absolutely. For those of you that are listening that are not familiar with Creative Commons licensing, I highly encourage you to go out and take a look to see what the different types of licenses are, because, you know, there's that non-commercial use that I would recommend, you know, in many cases. But I like to think about learning content and the levels at which we would share it. Yeah. And I would love to see more more collaboration, not just across departments, but across organizations. Yeah. And and I don't know how we do that. Right. And again, there is goodness to be had, but sometimes in a profit driven situation, long-term thinking is not the motivator. Short-term profits are the motivator. So it gets very sticky in there. Unfortunately, because at the end of the day, if you're a for-profit corporation, you're not there for the sake of giving things away. You're just not. Mm -hmm. And with education, I think it's even a little stickier, perhaps, because you are talking about trying to improve people, their knowledge, to give them more information. So where do you draw that line? Yeah, I'm going to stop you there and and say like, okay, if we if we separate this out, yeah. knowledge, skills, behavior, okay. attitude. There, see, you're, right? this is the learner and you, the learning person talking right here, and I'm going to right. sit back and let you do it. Yeah, <laughs> knowledge, skills, behaviors, attitudes. Let's think of what if for skills, because yes, there are some skills that are unique, but what if we shared that learning content mm-hmm. instead of? I can't tell you how many times I have reinvented the wheel. Oh, sure. And every other learning designer has done the same exact thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. We, that's our job, to yeah. constantly, to continuously reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And maybe we need one giant learning experience platform where we can have skills. I would say, you know, knowledge, skills, think about how we've learned and how, how you want to learn and how... You will learn in the future and 
you know, I've heard people come out and say, I don't want to learn from a robot. You already have been for years and you may not have known that, right. but you have. But we, the expertise that we're relying on in any learning experience when we introduce an instructor, right? We, we need to factor that in. And so what does it mean if instructor eight has this content that they're delivering as part of a learning experience or instructor B has that content and they're delivering as a learning experience? Are they going to be two different experiences? In my mind, yes, they'll be different depending on this, the individual's expertise that they're bringing. But, but is that going to get minimized? Will that go away? I'm just, I'm rambling on here. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but now I'm like thinking of influencers, right? Sure. And influencers online and, and, you know, product influencers and they're educators too. They are. And so where does that content lead us when we're learning from TikTok or we're learning from Instagram? Sure. Gosh, I'm all over the place here. <laughs> no, it's a valid point. I know a lot of people who they run to YouTube for a video to learn mm -hmm. how to do things. And this kind of drives me back to the question I would like to wrap up is, okay, with all of these changes that you're talking about, all this sharing that needs to be going on, all this reuse that should be going on, what does that mean for the LMS from your point of view? Well, this is the dinosaur I would like to see uh, hit by a meteor tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have never been a fan of the learning management system. I have, I think that the information repository with the ability to customize the interactions you want is what an LMS needs to be. Too many times I have been forced into designing, developing, and delivering a learning experience around the limitations of the learning management system. And I have seen clients do exactly what you just said, and they hit a breaking point, and they say, no more. Yep. And they'll sit there and say no more until someone offers them a solution. What is that solution going to look like? What I see that solution looking like is a lot of pieces that fit together and that it's app salad strung together with a central content repository that can be classified or searched. I mean, there, there is a learning experience platform out there that you can just create these adaptive learning experiences and there is no tagging, there is no metadata. And I know that they've used, you know, large language models to generate results, but I still don't love it. So for me, the future, for me, the meteor <laughs> may not, may not hit. It may be a slow death. You know, I'd like to be there when they bury Blackboard. <laughs> I have a handful of dirt on that LMS. <laughs> but I'd, I'd love to see someone come up with a solution that helps us stop reinventing the wheel, helps us invent a new form of transportation that we don't even know about, to push that metaphor a little too far. 
No, but I think that's a very good place to end it. You know, future thinking, some positivity, but there's some real work that needs to be done before that. Absolutely. Felice, thank you so much. This conversation went to some really interesting places that I didn't expect, and that is always a plus on a podcast like this. So thank you so much for your expertise. We deeply appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I love you folks at Scriptorium. I love the work that you do. I love the way that you educate folks, and maybe someday we can partner and solve this problem together. And a lot of people would be very happy if we did, indeed. Thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links. 